Hi, and welcome to Real Talk with Rachel, with my wife, Rachel Gilbert. Did you know that God has a unique call on your life? But things like fear, insecurities, and lies keep us from experiencing God's best. This podcast will consist of real talk about real life with real people. We pray that every episode brings you one step closer to your original design so you can confidently pursue your God-given dreams. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Rachel. I am your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I am excited to welcome back Dr. Cassie Reed to chat with us today. You may remember her from episode six when we talked about anxiety and mother wounds. Dr. Reed is my professor at the King's University, and she owns Cassie Reed Counseling in Southlake, Texas. Today, we're chatting about her book, Unwrapped, How to Survive the Holidays with Sanity. This seemed like a perfect fit since we're in the midst of the holiday season. However, I encourage you to take these nuggets of wisdom and use them all year round. Because it's December, there will only be one show of Real Talk with Rachel released as I take some time off with my family. I'm also working on some fun things behind the scenes, like my first ever online course for influencers. So be sure to stay tuned for that information. And if you haven't already, subscribe to my email list at rachelgilbert.com so you don't miss any of the information about the new resources as they are released. Let's go ahead and jump right into my conversation with Dr. Cassie Reed. Hey, Dr. Reed, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I am good. I'm excited to have you back on the podcast. No, I'm so excited. I'm honored that you would ask me to come back. That's a good thing. It is. We got so (laughs) many good um, reviews and feedback on the episode you did. I actually had to look it up which number it was. It was episode six, for those of you who are listening. And last time you were on, we talked about anxiety and mother runes, and it was so good. Mm-hmm. So today I'm bringing you back on, which again, I think I said this when I interviewed you last time. I feel like you have so many things that we could talk about that we'll just have to make it a recurring <laughs> conversation <laughs> on here. But today what we're going to talk about is you wrote a book called Unwrapped and it's opening the door of holiday sanity. And so I wanted to bring you on one to talk about the book, but really just some of the nuggets of truth that are within the book and share that with our listeners. No, I'm so excited. It's been such a fun adventure because really the book was birthed out of my own freedom journey and kind of my own venting, my own journaling, my own <laughs> angst with my own family. So it's uh, I'm so glad that people are able to benefit from that. Yeah. Well, I already read, actually, I read several chapters of the book within probably about 30 minutes. And so I love any kind of a book that it's just quick, easy bites that... I can easily process and actually put to use was amazing. So what I thought we would do today, obviously we can't go through every single chapter, but I highlighted, I grabbed a few of the chapters that I really loved and I kind of pulled some things out of there that I'll share and then I'll have you a little bit elaborate on for the listeners. And so the first one, I think that I want to start with is the chapter on disappointment. Um, (laughs) I think this is a a really big one around this time of the year. And in fact, one more thing I want to say about your book is, by the way, it is not just for the Christmas holiday season. This is pretty much a year round, year round book. So I want to just go and say that. But one of the quotes that you said, yeah, one of the quotes you said on the disappointment chapter was, consequently, many people learn to suppress their feelings and press past any negative emotions. And then you said, what would happen if we learn to lean in 
rather than press pass. And I love that you put this in here because one of the my most favorite things I've learned from you is that idea of leaning in. So can you elaborate a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, I think so many times we try to find a workaround, like a way that we don't have to deal with those emotions. And I find that so many individuals maladaptive strategies come out of that place of trying to figure out how can I work around these emotions where in reality, it's just pressing into them. It's just saying, okay, what am I feeling? Where am I feeling it in my body? What is the emotion? What exactly am I? Am I mad? Am I sad? Am I disappointed? Am I frustrated? Am I anxious? Am I depressed? Like, what am I feeling? Like, and being able to say, let me look at that. Kind of like, like it's an object. Like, let me look at you and see you and let me see what that feels like. And how do I contend with it? And I think leaning into it looks like that. It looks like actually stopping, letting yourself feel it, letting yourself just do what with it what you need to do with it in the situation. And uh, really even letting the Holy Spirit speak to it. I think so many people are like, okay, no, 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 we'll just move on, we'll move on, we'll I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I'm like, you're not okay. Like, you're not okay. And that comes up later. Either you deal with it now or you deal with it later. I'm for the now, but that's kind of what I mean by that. That's so good. And what do you think keeps people from leaning in to those emotions? Fear. It's fear of what's going to happen. You know, what's going to happen if I let myself feel sad? What's going to happen if I let myself feel disappointed? What's going to happen if I let myself grieve? What's going to happen if I even let myself feel joy? Like, I mean, sometimes it's not always a negative emotion. It can be a positive one. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, oh, things are bad right now. I can't be happy. Like, no, like we're built this way. We were given these emotions. And I think the fear and the enemy, really, he doesn't want us to be free. He doesn't want us to be in touch with who we are as people and how God made us. And he made us to feel. It's really the only trouble with emotion is when we start doing something with it that's out of his will. Like when we start acting out our anger or if we start taking it out on someone else or taking it out on ourselves, that's when it becomes negative. And how do you feel like we can create space to feel? Because I don't know about you, but I've actually heard people say, actually, I've probably said this myself, when you're upset over something and you've heard, we'll say things like, I just can't even allow myself to feel that right now. Like if I feel sadness, for example, I'm not going to be able to function the rest of the day and get anything done. Yeah. So yeah. how do we how do we create that space? Well, I think the reason people say that is because they've got so much pent up that if they let the cork out, so to say, or, you know, open up the soda that's been shaken up, that all of it's going to come out, that they're not going to be able to just cry about this thing that happened this morning, but they're going to have to cry about the thing that happened six mornings ago, 16 mornings ago, 60 mornings ago, maybe 16 years ago, who knows? And I think what we have to do is we have to figure out how we create margin in our own lives. And um, there's so much about that creating space for yourself to just come in tune with yourself. Where am I? How am I feeling today? You know, what's going on today? Like, what do I, what's going on in my body? Like, do I feel tension? Do I feel, I don't know, like, what's in my mind? What's in my heart? I'm always asking my husband, why do I feel like this? You know, like, if I'm having some kind of feeling of some kind of way, I, I want to analyze it right away so I can be aware, which sometimes isn't also as healthy, but that's a whole nother podcast, probably for a whole nother time. 
You know, one of my favorite parts about this podcast is God always knows what I need. I'm like, all right, I'm getting my mini therapy session right now. So so thank you. Um, Okay. So on this same note, one of the quotes in your book, you said, we would have a healthier society if we gave individuals space to express their unhappiness, disappointments, and other negative emotions before they take root. So what does that look like? We just talked about what it looks like for us to create margin for ourselves. What does that look like for us to to release other people in our life to do that same thing. Do you know what I've realized is that every person has some degree of codependency. Like every person has this not wanting other people to feel quote unquote bad or feel a negative emotion or feel something like we, we try to control and manage that. Now, some people, um, and I'm speaking from personal experience, have a higher degree based on their history than others. But I find that most people have at least some degree of that. So to answer your question, I think that what we have to do is not be afraid of other people's emotions. So if someone else feels mad or feels sad, that doesn't mean that the relationship's over. That doesn't mean that the event's over. That doesn't mean that the whole thing was a bust. If someone feels sad on your Christmas dinner, you know, it's just something made them sad and we've got to make room for that. I think we have to make room for people to talk about that under the surface. Like we have so much surface conversation, but the emotions get stuffed in the back pocket. And so I think allowing people a space to express themselves too and creating time for that, not feeling so rushed and full of activities that we don't have space to do that. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's really my story. I always thought, especially when my husband and I first got married, I always thought if I... You know, I'm honest about something and we get into some kind of a disagreement, relationship's over. So, you know, yeah. like just that yeah. that thought that if we don't agree or we, you know, something makes me upset, then that means things are done. And that's not the truth. So I share that to encourage somebody maybe listening today who might feel that way. Uh, it is not the truth. And bringing those things up is always the best way to go. I have learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah. And think about how the enemy hops all over that. And I mean, and again, I'm speaking to myself because... Growing up in an abusive situation, you learn to be codependent. You learn to manage, you know, other people around you. But it's it's the whole lie. The enemy wants us to think that if I'm myself, if I'm authentic, if I'm real, that I'll scare people away. I'll shoot people away. They won't want to be around me. And it's, it's the lie that I think we operate under, which then keeps us from feeling what we want to feel. And then we've got all this stuff pent up, bottled up. And we're not living authentically, especially with our family. I think family is the place where everybody says we should be the closest, but it seems to be the place that we're the most distant. Oh, my goodness. This is so good. And I wrote down what you said. You said, if we believe this lie, that if I'm real, I will scare people away. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is so powerful. I love that. Okay, so we're going to move on from disappointment to assumptions. And I love one of the quotes that you said about assumptions. You said, when we make assumptions, we are actually judging other people's motives. So how can we overcome that tendency to make assumptions? Oh, so, you know, I think making assumptions also is another thing that's rooted out of fear. And that's our own self-protection. So if I assume that you meant something icky for me or about me or to me, then 
I'm guarding myself. So for example, um, this book actually brought an awesome, awesome conversation with my family, like, which I didn't know if it would, or I didn't know what would happen, but, and I went into the conversation initially thinking, Oh, what did I say? Did I say something like with both my sisters? Did I say something offensive? Did I say something bad? Like assuming that they would come in with criticism. So I was like guarded, you know, kind of went into the meeting, kind of prepared, like had stirred myself up and kind of, you know, been re- I was kind of ready for not a fight, but to defend. And it was interesting. Both of them ended up apologizing to me. And like, we had like this freedom moment um, where we just said, we want to set a different course for our family system, like major conversation. And if I would have leaned into the assumption, which was really the fear and really me protecting myself, I probably wouldn't have been able to see the other side or I probably would have been more open. Maybe we would have got there sooner. I don't know, but it's just so easy to protect ourselves that way. And I love what you said about the root of assumption is fear. Would you say that you feel like fear is the root of many of the things that we deal with? Yeah, I would say, I would say that for sure. The enemy loves to use that as a motivator and really it's fear and in there is rejection and abandonment. And that's what we fear, you know, is being rejected or being abandoned or being alone. We're built for community, you know? So I think so much of our, our whole drive in our lives is to not have those things be part. Yeah. And I have to tell, I guess it's a funny and cool story that as I was reading your book, this was sometime last week, I got a chance to put together this whole assumption thing and it actually was not holiday related. I won't tell the whole story because it take too long, but it was something to do with one of my kids and somebody had let me know they weren't going to be able to make it to something. And my an immediate thought that popped into my head was they just don't care about this particular child. You know, like immediately I went there and immediately this chapter on assumption popped up and I was like, wait, what kind of facts do I have? Like, how, why did mm-hmm. I go all the way there immediately? Mm-hmm. I went all mm-hmm. the way to, they just don't like my kid. Wait, what? <laughs> no, they had something yeah. else going. It was not that at all. And so that's why I say this book is for, it for sure is holidays and Christmas and all of that, but uh, it's day-to-day living. So I was really thankful yeah. for it last year because I totally avoided a situation where bitterness and resentment and anger would have absolutely taken root. I have no doubt in my mind. And thankfully the Holy Spirit was like, nope. Don't do that. So, well, that's awesome. I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, the next one is boundaries. And I love this quote that you say, and I believe I've heard you say this in class too, is that a boundary isn't a boundary unless it's communicated. So, what is a practical way to set a boundary with family during the holidays? Well, I think, like, like I say, you have to communicate the boundary. Like just assuming, like you put it up and then like, you know, how I envision it is it's like putting up a invisible fence and then someone just keeps running into something and they don't understand, like, why do I keep hitting the thing? You know, and so it leaves everyone frustrated because you're frustrated that they're even testing the boundary and they're frustrated that something's there and they don't understand what it is. So I think communication is key. And I think clear communication is key. And I think the way we communicate, I think it's important to be intentional to say, hey, can I talk to you about some things? Can we talk Thursday night at seven? Like, I'm going to set a time. I'm going to try to not squeeze it in while all the kids are screaming after Thanksgiving dinner, you know, like where it's it's so much easier to just want to throw it in there real quick or say, hey, so we're not coming for Christmas. Okay, bye. You know, or <laughs> okay, no, you're, you're never going to see us again. You know, 
or whatever you're going to say, like however strong the boundary is, we just want to throw it in there because of our own anxiety. But the reality is like we have to be able to be clear in our communication and even give the person some opportunity because sometimes we put up a boundary based on assumptions. You know, we think that we think something's true and then we sit down with the person and they end up saying, hey, oh my gosh, you totally didn't know. That's not what I meant. Oh man, you know, how dare I would never, you know, like you're, like someone would probably say to you, I would never reject your kid. I love your kid. So sweet, you know, like, or whatever they would say to you based upon whatever happened for you last week, you know, but it's like giving them the space for that. But I think we have to be intentional and clear in what the boundaries mean, what they look like. And then I think what we have to do is reinforce them. So a lot of people in families will keep bumping up against that invisible fence. It's like, oh, you said that, but let me see. Boom, boom, boom. You know, let me keep trying. And I think what you have to do then is have the same clear communication. Okay. Remember when we talked, I just need you to know things haven't changed. I still feel the same. The boundary's still in place. I just need you to know if it if it does change, I'll let you know. I we will have another conversation. But for now, this boundary is still here, and I think that gets frustrating because you have to keep repeating that to the person. But I think that's crucial that they hear you. So, in regards to boundaries, two questions I have is: Do you think that that's a conversation that needs to be done in person, or is a phone call okay? What does that look like? It depends on proximity. I think anytime you can see and touch and be in the flesh, our culture is getting so bad about distance, just and about how now I hear people say, I don't even want to have a phone call. Can we just text? Can we, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, like it's just a shock to me. And I think there's so much in the flesh. There's so much power of seeing someone's eyeballs and seeing if they're like, You know, in a text, you can't read tone at all. So you can also reach over and just touch their hand if you're having an emotional moment, you know, when you're on the phone or so I know that distance sometimes makes it to where you can't have an in-person conversation or you might want to set a boundary before you go visit family that are out of town. Um, Then obviously phone is good, but I would say not even Skype because, you know, what we're doing again is we're managing our own anxiety. Like, of course, I want to send something hard in a text message, hit send and walk away. But when you have them on the other line, it's like, uh, cricket, are they going to, what are they going to say? You know, and you have to deal with your own anxiety with that. I love that. And I also am curious. So for anybody listening who maybe can relate to me, whenever I read books on boundaries and I read this chapter on boundaries and even you right now sharing doing that, my heart starts racing like I'm out running a, a sprint, uh-huh. you know, like, oh, my God, I think I might die. So I know some people this comes easy for, but I have a feeling more people than not, it comes hard for. What are some practical ways to help ease somebody into being brave enough and bold enough to set healthy boundaries? Oh, goodness. Like, OK, first, let me just say, I struggle with this, too. Like, uh, even as a counselor, even as someone who helps people, I mean, I don't like it. <laughs> and again, it's the fear, it's the rejection, the abandonment thing that really drives. So I think, one, you really have to let the Holy Spirit speak into it. I know a lot of people that throw up a boundary when it's not him. That's never healthy because you're doing that for yourself. You're doing that out of flesh. You're doing that out of anger. You're doing that out of frustration. You're not doing that because you feel led. A boundary has a purpose. 
And that's really what you have to focus on is if I'm going to set a boundary, I'm typically protecting someone or something. There's typically abusive behavior. And that's a big word, but that sometimes is even if it's verbal, if it's an emotional abuse, if it's someone just taking advantage of you, like you have to set a boundary. And I think something happens when you have kids. Because then you go into this mode where you really want to protect them. And that really helped motivate me, I think, to set some boundaries is to say, ooh, it's not just me now. Like, you have the potential to hurt my kids, and that's not okay. Um, So I think it's really asking yourself, what's the end game? What's the why? And then really asking for strategy of what that looks like. So, okay, if I don't want my kids to experience the same type of relationship with this person, what would need to happen? And really thinking it through, don't ever set a boundary out of anger. Don't ever set a boundary in rash. A boundary isn't a rash thing. A boundary is something you've thought it through, you've prayed through, you've got wisdom, even wise counsel from humans, you know, like someone in your life that you trust that you can say, am I crazy? I have a couple of great friends that I literally come and I'm like, am I crazy guys? Like, could I just tell you this? And can you tell me, am I normal? (laughs) And it's good when you have people speak into it too and say, that sounds pretty rational or that sounds irrational. You're still not forgiving. So you don't do anything until you walk through that. Don't you think it's interesting? Because I'm exactly like what you mentioned. Once I had kids, a whole new boldness came over me of, okay, now I'm not just looking out for myself. I'm looking out for other people. But isn't it interesting that it took other people, me being in charge of other people, for me to feel like, why would I not feel that I am worthy of setting a boundary just for me? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, it makes sense. It's it's a stewardship thing. I don't think we steward ourselves as well as we steward our spouses or our kids. Oh, that's so good. Okay, so we're moving on to control. We're getting through these (laughs) chapters. You guys are just going to have to buy your book because we're for sure not going to make through all the chapters and probably not all my questions either. Um, So let's talk about control a little bit. You said in that chapter, you said control is the root of much of the push and pull we experience during the Christmas season. So my question to you is what can we do when our control becomes uncontrollable? Actually, I think that was one of your questions in the book. I think, again, we have to ask ourselves, why? You know, what is it that's making? And I don't love the question why because I think it's confrontational, but I'm not afraid to ask it for myself. <laughs> I think I don't like to ask it of other people, but I'll ask myself, why are you doing that? You know, but I think we got to see what does that mean to me? So, me saying, I want to boss how Thanksgiving dinner is going to look. Why? Mm. Why do I need to boss that? What about that? Why do I need to be in charge? Why does it need to be my way? Why? Like, what is it about me? And that's a hard question sometimes to ask. And then sometimes I love to ask, why do they? Mm. Because there's power in that. Like, just seeing a person who, oh, and and this isn't about any, my family specifically, I just want to be clear, but it's about the fact that, like, oh, they have control of nothing else in their life. So this day today, they want to be in charge of how this is going to look and what this is going to go. Sure. I'll come and I'll submit to that. I don't need to be in control today because I feel in control tomorrow. They might not. So here, you know what? Sure. You serve it how you want. You do it how you want. You have a sit where you want and you have a comment four in the morning. I don't care. Like if that's what you want to do, well, within reason, meet that, you know? Yeah, that's so powerful. Okay, I have to circle back around because you actually discussed this in class one time about the statement why being (laughs) confrontational. I need you to go ahead and elaborate on that. 
No, sure. I I always joke in counseling that um, you know if you ever see like the no smoking signs or the no talking signs, you know the big circle with the uh, the slash through it. That's what I say about why when it comes to um, helping someone. Because anytime you ask the word why, you put someone on the defense. Mm -hmm. Because then they feel like, okay, if I say, hey, Rachel, why? Why? Like, no matter what tone I say, you feel automatically like you have to defend yourself or dig out of and justify. And that's not always why I want to know why. You know, like, I don't want to know why to make you on the defense. So I'll say, tell me more about that. Or help me understand. Or uh, give me a glimpse into what makes you feel that way. You know, some different ways that I'll say it, because what I want to know is really the reason, especially for myself, when I'm asking why, I'll ask myself why. But I want to know the reason, what's driving that, and sometimes making someone else stop, but not making them feel like they're being judged. Because I think that it can make people feel judged or like they're wrong from the beginning. That's so good. Okay, let's move on to expectations. This is another big one. I have several questions underneath this. So one of the things you said in your book was one of the most interesting features of expectations is that many people never communicate them. So how can we address expectations? Well, I think what I've been thinking about this actually, so just finishing Thanksgiving and in that chapter, I talk about how um, it's like having a play or a show, but giving no one else the script or even no one else a ticket. You know, you just kind of, you're going to put on this production, but no one's going to have the script of what to say, or what it should look like. And I think that's the key is to say, okay, so um, we're going to have Christmas brunch at my house. We're all going to get here at 11. We're going to eat first, and then we're going to hang out a little bit. Then we'll do gifts, and then we'll wrap it up around two. You know, it's like, so being able to say kind of what that looks like and what they can expect when they come, I think helps everyone so that they don't get there and say, oh, we thought we would do gifts first. And then you're like, but the food's hot. Ah, oh. You know, and then they're feeling like, but we're not hungry. We just ate. Well, I communicated to you. The expectations are you're going to come at 11 and you're going to sit your keister in the seat and we're going to eat, you know? So it just makes it easier on everyone because everyone knows how to plan, how to be a part and how to prepare. And everyone has a script and or a ticket to the show. So it's not like the show goes on and no one knows what they should do or what it should be. I love that you even said that you we'll plan on wrapping up around two o'clock because if you're the host and people think they're expecting, I'm going to stay till midnight, we're going to party hard. <laughs> and you had in your mind, oh, we'll be done by two and I can relax the rest yeah. of the day. Yeah. And I think we've all experienced one of those moments in life where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never leaving. And I don't ever want to be that person. <laughs> I'm always like, I don't want to be the one that people have to go, Oh, ah, I'm going to yawn and go start doing the dishes, you know? <laughs> okay, so I had actually asked on Instagram to some of the listeners if they have any questions. And a really great one came up, which I felt like fit into this category. And she said this. I just have to quote what she said. She said, our family still buys gifts for every single family member. This puts a financial strain on my husband and I, but we don't want to show up empty handed. How can we talk to our family about this in a way that doesn't come across as us not being giving? So, I mean, I guess this is maybe a little bit boundaries, but also that expectation thing, yeah. you know, of, yeah. hey, we're expected to show up with gifts in hand, yeah. but we really don't enjoy doing this. Yeah. Well, I think one thing, I mean, just speaking about my family is we decided with the siblings that we were just going to do a larger gift and trade names. 
So like among the, the, we have two sisters so and we're each married. So among the couples, we just each take a couple and kind of the premise, and maybe this is a way to present it to your family is that, isn't it better to get a larger gift that you want, you know, like let's say a $50 gift versus a $10 gift, or, you know, I'm just using some numbers as examples, but um, wouldn't you prefer to have, you really want rather than a $10 gift card, you know? And then I think another thing I would say is that too. And, and another thing I've seen families do or suggest is, Hey, let's do handmade things. Let's do something we make. Let's do something we create. Let's do something that is edible. Um, but I think people probably feel the same way you do. They're just not saying it. You know, I, I think that they, they also are not necessarily maybe financially, but it's like, oh, Uncle Edna, twice removed. What do we get her? You know, it's like you're in that thought process of someone that you may not interact with often. And I actually prefer to, I would rather put that $10 towards someone that's in my life every day or every week or someone that really adds value. I'd be like, you need a present. Like this person obligatory does not, but you do, you know? And so I really think, again, it's, it's fear of communication. And I'm not saying this person fears communicating, but a lot of, I, I know this is a hard thing is to say, Hey guys, listen, it just doesn't, it's not wisdom to spend $500 to come bring everybody a gift. Like we just aren't there. Like, Let's figure out a way we can be more economical or let's take a family. We'll trade families. We have used family. We'll buy for the kids. We'll buy for the parents. I don't know how it would go, but something like that. Yeah. And I definitely can relate to this because actually my number one um, love language is gifts. And so you would yeah. think I would love, I do love to give gifts, but I don't love giving obligatory, like the gifts of, oh, you mm-hmm. have to buy for all these people because that sucks the joy right out of it for me. It does. It does. The purpose, well, the purpose of a gift is that you think about that person and you hand select something that you say, oh my gosh, they would love this. Like, this is so amazing. As opposed to being like, okay, we've got one hour in Target. Who's left on our list? Okay, these socks, these underwear, this will be great, you know? And that's kind of what we end up doing with people that we don't really feel. But I have people in my life up to tell my stepdaughter's one and these people who love us, we have a KK. And like, literally, I could go spend hundreds of dollars on them in seconds because it's just, I see stuff that they like in the store and I'm just like, let's get it. And I'm like, Oh gosh, we've already blown the budget, you know? And it just, just you love them and you want to bless them. Yeah. So true. All right. So let's talk about if you have a chapter in here called the two for one chapter. And you say that many families forget about the concept of marriage when it comes to holiday gatherings. So how can we support marriages within our family? And also just, I guess the second question, which maybe you need to answer the first, but would be what should a couple do if in-laws are not welcoming or vice versa? Mm -hmm. I think that you're one regardless, you know, you're one that you leave and you cleave. That's the first thing, right? Like you're with each other. And I think the second piece of it is, that you also have to prioritize that person. And that's hard sometimes when you grow up in a family system for however many years, 20 some years, typically before some people get married, maybe less, maybe more. And then all of a sudden you have to shift that and you have this different system that you develop together. So I think that's really what takes priority. And, you know, Jimmy Evans talks a lot about how marriage, your marriage is first, like even over your kids, because, that's the relationship that will endure before they come and after they leave. You know, when they go to college, you still are there looking at your spouse. So you want to be sure that that's being stewarded. 
So I think that's the biggest thing is that you prioritize your spouse. And I think you also prioritize your spouse to your in-laws, to your family, to the other side, to everyone. I think, and that starts with not talking about them to anybody on your family. And, and I don't mean that if you want to confide in your mom or your dad or a sister, but it's when it, when it becomes one of those things where you start speaking derogatorily about the person that creates dissonance and d- division that you as a spouse can reconcile and fix because you're in close proximity, but they can't. So if they hear something that's negative or not, okay, then what are they going to do with that? How are they going to contend with that when they don't have the same equity with your spouse, you know? So, you have to think about that and, and you have to think about how that looks. That's really powerful, that reminder about not sharing even just what's going on in your own marriage with your family members. Because like you said, we can forgive our spouse a whole lot easier than maybe our mom or our dad or something like that. So that's good. All right. Well, I want to make sure we save some time to talk about grief because I know this is a chapter in your book, but I also know this is a really big hurdle for a lot of families during this time of the year. And you said something that on grief that says grieving is something we must do for any circumstance or situation that does not turn out the way we thought it would. And I know, like I said, that the loss of a loved one or maybe a divorce or loss of a job can make this time of year really hard. So do you have any tips for someone who is grieving something really big like that? Is it even possible for them to still enjoy the holidays? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the goal is that we aren't one dimensional in our emotions. You know, so if you let grief in that you can only feel grief. I think that's one of the biggest myths of grief is that you still can feel joy. You still can feel happy about some things. But I think what we have to do is allow ourselves to grieve whatever it is and allow those around us to understand that they don't have to handle us with kid gloves. But there are some things going on in our lives that we need to be aware of you know, like that you need to be aware of, or if it's a loss or if it's something like we just, you know, I think about women who've had a miscarriage. It's like, that's the thing. Like we need to support you and we need to stand beside you and not put expectations on you during this season that we're just here, whatever you need. If you want to laugh and play games and just cut up together, then that's what we're going to do. But if you want to talk about it and cry a little bit, that's what we're going to do. We're just not going to do all that all the time. That's our the lie we believe is that if someone's going to have a moment of sadness, that's going to take over the entire gathering when that isn't the case. No, and no one who's sad wants that either. No one who's grieving wants to be the center of attention and have all of that. Most people, at least. Yeah, I love that you said that our feelings are not one dimensional because I know I've I have grieved heavy things and I've walked along people who have. And I feel like one thing that can be attached to feeling joy in that season is guilt. Mm -hmm. Because like, I shouldn't, how could I be joyful right now? I just lost whatever it was, you know? Yeah. So that's really a powerful, powerful statement. And then I also love what you said about just letting people feel one of the previous guests on the podcast, she actually came on and shared her story of her husband and he had taken his life just last year. And she said one of the things that her and other people she's talked with who've gone through something that tragic is she said, you know, when people give you the look, like, yeah, there's just a look on their face that she said it is really just brings more hurt than help because they look they feel yeah. sorry for you and she said it really yeah. is, is hurtful so well and I think that Kate because basically what you're doing is you're judging again you know you're looking at them and saying like oh poor you you know and it's like no 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 ask them how are you 
What can we talk about? What can we pray about? What can we discuss today that would be helpful to you? Like, how can I support you? Do you need, you know, what do you need? You know, instead of saying that, instead of being the pity face, because, you know, some people don't even want to go to gatherings for that very reason. They don't want that. Yeah. All right. Well, we're almost out of time. So I'm going to do just one or two more questions. We'll do rapid fire. So uh, the chapter on favoritism, I really like that chapter. He said that we struggle with favoritism because of our own desires to be enough, to be seen, to be loved and matter. So how can we deal with favoritism? I think it's just everybody deserves to be seen and heard and loved unconditionally. And I think that's the biggest thing that we want to, this is that people want to create a space for that, to be seen, to be loved, to be unconditionally accepted. And so I think that's why people favor, have favoritism. You know, it's, and again, it's based out of assumptions too. It's like this person is a little more needy. Well, we're not seven anymore, you know? And I think family patterns get drug into the future, which creates that. All right. And I have a couple more questions from listeners that we'll do quickly. One of them I thought was a great question. She asked, how do you recommend planning when you're dealing with divorced parents? So like the parents divorced when they were little and now all the kids are adults and they're feeling pulled in a bunch of different directions. I think that what you have to do is you have to start communicating early. I think what happens a lot of times with the holidays is we assume, again, that people will be available, that people are here, that people are doing whatever, whatever. And the reality is that basically we can't assume that. Like, let's plan it for on December 24th or let's plan on December 23rd. We're going to have this or let's plan on December 20th. We're going to do it the weekend before so that everyone has a chance to be Um, with you and with your kids and with your families. And so what I would say is I would say plan early and plan often and, you know, just kind of to say, here's what we're going to do. And like, even some families will sit into a, um, I know a lot of families who celebrate Christmas the weekend before so that the, the kids can go and they can be with the other side of the family or, and they alternate years or there's just different things, but I think communication is key. And the heart behind it is you want to see everyone. Yeah. That's so good. And as we wrap up, I guess, instead of asking you a final question, I would just love to know, is there anything else that you would love the people listening to know about the holidays or dealing with family or any of this stuff we've been chatting about? I think that you just have to figure out what's your intention for the holidays. And mine is always to have as much fun and as rest and just be together and celebrate and just have a lot of joy in what I do. And I think everything has to be filtered through that intention. Cause if I'm looking at it and I'm like, Oh, I have to, it's like, Oh, wait, 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 Mm-mm. that doesn't bring me joy. That doesn't make me feel like I'm celebrating. That doesn't make me feel positive, you know? So I filter, I would figure out what's my intention for the holiday. And I would weigh every opportunity through that. And yeah, some things you just do, you have to go, you know, you aren't going to miss your kids play where you're going to hear all the kids sing and it's not going to be awesome. Right. But like it brings joy to your kids for you to go. And it's joyful to see them look cute in their little shepherd costumes or whatever. But you know, there's just things that you have to filter through. And I think you have to find your intention, even in the undesirable is to say, okay, like if I'm going to feel joy, this thing might not be, I don't love to hear 80 kids sing before my kid goes on stage. But you know what? It's my intention is that I'm going to have fun and find the cutest kid in every class until my kid goes on stage. And then I'm going to take a thousand pictures and love every minute of it. You know, so you've got to find your intention, even in the undesirable. Oh my goodness. This is so good. I wish you could see my notebook. Whenever I interview people (laughs) on here, I take notes and I have like this entire page filled up. So many 
nuggets of truth. So thank you, Dr. Reed, again, for coming on and sharing your heart. And again, I'm going to, for those of you who are listening, don't worry in the outro, I will let you know more about her book and where you can find it and all of that. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on today. Thanks for having me on. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas and um, this is helpful in navigating some of the family stuff this holiday. So thanks for having me on, Rachel. I appreciate it. Do you see why I'm loving grad school so much? Dr. Reed is a wealth of knowledge who brings freedom and hope to so many people. Be sure to grab her book, Unwrapped, on Amazon or in the Gateway Bookstore. All right, friends, that's all for today. I will see you back here next year on Real Talk with Rachel. Have a Merry Christmas.